May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Mark 1, verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. This is God's word to God's people. Epiphany is the season in which we celebrate the dawning of new light, the, the Magi going to visit the Christ child, and then all the blessings of discernment that come to us as we contemplate uh, Jesus as our Christ. So we're having a sermon series in which we are talking about 
what our vision is of who God would want us to be. We talked about that last week. We spent time talking about how important it is to have a sense of where we want to go so that we can get there. And that that applies not only to getting to Des Moines, but it applies to getting to the spiritual being that you want to be. You need to have a sense of, of what that looks like. Uh, work with God to discern the vision for yourself, uh, your unique vision for who you are. And then to get after it and, and get to live out that vision and inculcate those senses of spirituality and who you are. And so we're talking now about uh, resources that will help us in that effort to be uh, the best that we can be, the fullness of what God would want us to be. And today we're talking about devotion. We're talking about spirituality. We're talking about the summingsing of our soul force within us to work in partnership with God to reach that vision. Newsflash, uh, you've got a soul. Most all of us think that's true. Some don't. They kind of wonder about that. And there's a lot of people outside our doors that are a little um, uncertain about this soul business. Uh, I came across a book, uh, This I Believe, and it was a book written off of the NPR series, This I Believe, in which people gave witnesses to certain things that had happened in their life and how that had come to be important to them in this sense of faith and spirituality. And one of the essays in there was by Kathy Dolan called The Elusive Yet Holy Core. Now, she had entered college in the 70s, and she was an English major, and she just loved all that deep thinking and philosophical and uh, presentation of narrative and story. And after a couple of years, though, she got a little tired of Dostoevsky and other great authors and decided that to cleanse her palate, she would take an anatomy class and study physiology. And as luck would have it for her, in this class, she got to see an autopsy. Rachel and I were talking about how we had seen autopsies, and we wouldn't have said, as the good Lord provided us the opportunity to have an autopsy, we celebrated and went in. No, we were both probably a little ashened and had a hard time uh, going through the whole thing. She, on the other hand, loved it and was there watching as the professor uh, started to take the organs out of the body. And, and being the kind of person she was, though, she looked at that and she realized that there wasn't an organ that could uncover people's generosity or their unkindness, their ambition, or their love. There wasn't an organ that he was lifting up and showing that could account for the making of music or human will. And the professor moved up to the brain and took out this gooey gray thing and gazing at all that nerve tissue, she writes that she was unable to reconcile the evidences in her life of self-sacrifice and forgiveness with that gooey gob there or even the suicide that led to the ability to have this autopsy. She recognized that human life consists of much more than one's biology. 
And she wrote, I know myself well enough to admit to yearnings, imaginings, and thoughts that can't be reduced to chemical reactions or electric impulses. This experience confirmed for her a sense of an enduring soul within us all. This elusive yet holy core whispers to me of God, she writes, of my ability to know and enjoy God. It compels me to look beneath the surface, to remind myself that, like me, the lady next door who scowls as she goes to the mailbox, or the kids who strut down the street, or my atheist friends that enjoy a good conversation, each one of us bear an undying soul, and each one deserves compassion. The soul is there, whether we recognize it or not. It's our opportunity, it's our, our way by which we connect with God. It's to be used or abused or neglected for our benefit or perhaps to our peril. If you want life abundant, if you want to become the best you can be, you need to recognize your soul, put it to use, develop its capabilities, summons its power. Our devotional life does this for us. It's the way we exercise our soul. It's the way we put our soul to use. Devotional life reflects our values, Michael Slaughter writes. Devotion reveals true belief. Your greatest enthusiasm betrays your true object of worship. Yikes. You think that's true? Well, let's just turn that around and ask ourselves, are we as passionate and enthusiastic about spending time with God, worshiping God, studying God's Word, as we are as the patriots playing the Chargers today? Does it get you as wound up as that game does? Are you as excited to go trick-or-treating as you are to go to church? Your new car? Whatever. Slaughter makes an interesting point of calling us to attention that we ought to be excited and passionate about connecting to God. Devotion is the time that we spend to focus on God. In the journal Weavings, John Vandelaar writes in an essay called Walking on Sacred Ground. It's a curious reflection of our time that while the vast majority of the people in the world claim to believe in a God of some kind, most all of us live as functional atheists. We are disconnected and unaware of the presence or the influence of the divine, except perhaps uh, 
at moments of great need or great longing. And we suffer the effects of that, he writes. We have lost the sense of the sacredness of our world, of other people, and even of our own lives. Yikes. It's not so much that we need to improve our belief system or we need to get greater clarity on our theology. To be better propelled forward towards our vision of who God would have us be and to live into that, what we need to do is increase our soul's passion, our love of God, so that we draw closer and closer and closer in connection to God and in a conscious spiritual presence of God. Because of our love of God, we seek to live in that divine presence. And this is what devotions are all about, finding that place of connection to God and abiding in that place. Now, I'm going to give you some, uh, some cooking tips as an illustration to this. Now, I know some of you are scoffing. I can even hear it. Um, I do want to remind you that I survived eight years with Debbie only visiting every other week, and in between those weekends when she visited, I ate. <laughs> so I know a thing or two. And have any of you ever marinated chicken? <laughs> All right. So here's the thing. You get that bag. Well, at least this is how I do it. I get that little bag out, right? And I put the, particularly I like the legs and the thighs. I put that in the bag, and then I pour in a bunch of teriyaki sauce, right? Now, I do that in the morning for a while. So let me ask you, what is the effect on that chicken of the teriyaki sauce if I take the chicken out in a minute? Not very much, right? You, you real cooks. If I leave it in there an hour, well, there's starting to be a bit of flavor, right? If I leave it in there for six hours, now my wife's saying that's too long, but it really tastes like teriyaki. Our soul is like that. If you want to have a dynamic relationship with God that affects you, inspires you, <coughs> shapes you, resources you, if you want to have that kind of love relationship with God, you've got to give it a little time. You just can't hop in the bag and out. You've got to stay there a while under God's influence, in the presence of God. Finding that place and abiding within it. And you're thereby allowing God some time to 
affect and to alter you, to strengthen, inspire, and equip you. Practicing the presence of God is what the mystics call it. Finding that experience and abiding in it, delighting in God's presence and allowing God's presence to affect you. That's what devotion is about. That's this resource for us to get on the path better able to become the vision God has given for us of ourselves. So some tips on devotions. A slaughter, who we're referencing often, so I want to share his method. He, he does the sun method, S-O-N. He calls it, S is for scripture. He begins by his devotion time by studying scripture. O is for observation. He challenges himself to observe what's in that scripture that God is using to speak to him. Observe that. And then the N is naming it, claiming it, saying, all right, God, this is what I'm going to do about that observation that has come to me through my study of your scripture. Interestingly, he ends his prayer time with this words of prayer. Father, empower me to be today who you need me to be and to be who my family believes me to be. Isn't that sweet? Here's how I do my devotions, just to be disclosing to you so that you have a, a sense of uh, the journey that I have been on and how we all are on a journey. I know that you look at Rachel and I and you see saints. I recognize that. <laughs> and we're the professionals. Don't try this at home. Just uh, do it at church with the professionals, right? It's not like that at all. We are journeying just like you our journeying, and we have been on a pilgrimage of a growing in our ability to experience the presence of God just like you. And so I'll share how in the beginning, really, it was just meals at grace, you know, grace meals, grace prayers at meals that I would do. And then on occasion, if something was coming up, if something was really getting attention, I would pray about that. But mostly my prayers were just giving thanks to God for food. As, as some years went by, I, I started to recognize that that seemed a little inadequate, and so I, I started to um, put myself through a regimen of prayers in the morning and prayers at night, as well as grace over meals. So I'd wake up in the morning, hey, God, great, I'm so glad to be alive. What's this day like? And then when the day was over, oh, Lord, what a day. Thank you for helping me through it, and blah, 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 right? I would, morning and evening prayers on top of grace. And then I don't know if it was the, the seriousness of ministry where um, the responsibility started to, to feel a little bit more than my natural um, strength to respond or, or what it was, but something drove me into being a little bit more serious about my devotional life. And I set up a little altar in my office. This was in the early years of ministry, praying hands and a cross and a candle. And I got myself a resource book for prayers so that I would um, have a little help in the practicing of the discipline of prayer. So don't be embarrassed if you feel a little... Uh, sketchy about how to pray, the upper room or some other resource is a good resource that you can bring and help you to practice.
this discipline of devotion. You don't get good at something unless you practice it. And if you want your devotional life to have an impact on your spiritual formation, you need to take some self-leadership like we talked about last week, some responsibility for yourself, take some self-leadership and hold yourself accountable to developing your spiritual life, further developing your ability of being in the presence of God. And so I got a book called A Guide to Prayers for Ministers and Other Servants. That sounded like that'd be right up my alley by Bishop Job, and, and it was pretty detailed, lots of different things to it, and uh, pretty intense, but it got, it got me going, it got the gears going a little bit more uh, uh, fluidly. And for the last 15 years, I've been using a book by an Episcopalian, uh, Phyllis Tickle, it's called The Divine Hours, Prayers for Springtime or Prayers for uh, Wintertime or Prayers for Summer. It's a three-volume thing, and it's taken off of the tradition that we all have in our background DNA of being in prayer seven times a day. We Christians used to do that, rain or shine. We would gather with one another, prayers before we got going for breakfast, prayers after breakfast, prayers at lunch, seven of these things. We still use some of the words connected. We talk about vespers, and we kind of have a sense, okay, that's somewhere, uh, dinner, after dinner somewhere, right? And, and uh, compline is a word that's used sometimes for the later prayer. We used to pray regularly, we Christians. And this book harkens back to that and offers some, some great periodic prayers through the day. And I've enjoyed it a great deal. I, I use it once or, or sometimes twice a day to get through the day. So I share my devotional journey with you so that you realize that all of us, we included, are on a journey of getting closer, becoming more intimate with God as we seek to become the kind of person, the best person that we can be. And my devotional life has become more and more important to me as time has passed, and I would guess that perhaps it can equally be as important to you as you face the challenges of moving through your life. I find that when I don't take the time, and it's usually because I think I'm too busy to engage in the devotional practice, I find that I start to get a little unhinged, a little less flexible, a little less balanced, um, a little less graceful, a little lost, get things out of proportion. Devotional life is a key resource for us that we should take advantage of so that we can grow in that intimacy with God and into the kind of person that God would have us be. So the scripture this morning talks about Jesus praying, and I could have pulled out probably 20 different scriptures that make a reference to Jesus breaking apart and being in prayer. What do you make of the fact that the Son of God felt the need for prayer? Does it give you any clue 
about the importance of your devotional life that even the one we call the Son of God felt the need to give time to be in devotion and in prayer. And if Jesus needed that, holy smokes, what about us? What about us? So, for the love of God, will you strive on into intimacy with God? Strive on in intimacy with God for the love of God. Amen.